What I've always loved about style is the subjectivity of it, that it means different things to different people. It has more to do with the way we move through the world than it does with the clothes that we wear. Ultimately, it's about passion and attitude. I've spent decades working in fashion's trenches, seen the best and the worst of human style, and have had the chance to get up close and personal with some of the world's most iconic and intriguing characters. I'm Jeannie Becker, and this is Beyond Style Matters. On today's episode, Brad Goreski. I think my um, my Canadianness has served me very well because it has um, I don't know there's just something people will always say once they find out I'm Canadian oh that's why you're so nice or I was always wondering well how you could always be so nice and so calm and mm-hmm. so easy to work with. Something that really makes my heart sing is seeing how fashion television inspired so many kids to break out of their little hometowns and go off to chase their high-glam dreams. L.A.-based celebrity stylist Brad Goreski is one such Canadian kid. Brad grew up in Port Perry, Ontario, and was obsessed with our fashion television show. In his 2012 autobiography, Born to be Brad, he talks about me reporting from the international shows with such intensity as if I was a war correspondent reporting from the front lines. I cried when Brad showed me that passage in his book, instantly realizing how much he'd been affected by my blatant passion for the fashion scene. Brad's own passion led him to New York, where he interned for Vogue, and eventually L.A., where he became a TV darling, first on the Rachel Zoe Project, and then on his own series, It's a Brad Brad World. A stylist to some of Tinseltown's hottest celebs, Brad also co-hosted E! Network's Fashion Police and Live from the Red Carpet. His podcast, Brad Behavior, and his hilarious antics on Instagram and TikTok have earned him a mega following of fashion enthusiasts who crave substance far beyond mere style. And for me personally, he's become emblematic of dreams realized, what it is to choose a creative path and follow it with all your heart. In 2016, when I was proudly inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame, I chose Brad Goreski to introduce me on stage. And it felt pretty fabulous. His dream had come full circle. So, Brad, for so long, I know, you grew up a little guy in Port Perry watching fashion television, and, you know, there (laughs) I was in the trenches, and you were soaking it all in. You obviously learned a lot, taught yourself so much about fashion, went out there and became this fashion icon. Oh and uh, and now here I am, like interviewing you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the feelings is, is totally mutual. I'm like, wow, here I am with Jeannie Becker. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just had um, Jay Manuel on my podcast and we talked about you for a while because your influence on all of us that are Canadian and, and also obviously from other places, but you know, the, the Canadian kids that ended up leaving or staying and getting into fashion and are of a, you know, a certain age group, we all have you as a common link as the person that, Mm. you know, taught us everything we know. So you were, you were our springboard that anything was possible and that we could, 
make our way in the world of fashion. And you also armed us with, you know, knowledge, like so much knowledge. So I'm so grateful to you, as you know. And so much of what I learned along the way was just totally by osmosis because I got into the business as a fashion reporter, Mm. um, just as this kid who had grown up in the 60s loving fashion and I'd done this rock and roll show so I knew what it was like to shove my microphone into the faces of big egos <laughs> and you know get these great sound bites and and I learned so much as I went along uh, it was incredible yeah I guess for me there there weren't really any mentors of that nature to, to go by I mean sure I used to read you know Vogue magazine back in the day but I wasn't you know, really intimately familiar with the editors or their their points of view. Or I didn't even realize, you know, the, what the designers were really so amazingly fabulous at. There, it was just mm. something about the visuals of the magazine that really grabbed me, and and the chat about the hip stuff going on that that stimulated me. But yeah, I guess I never really had anyone that I could look to like that. So that for you to be saying that to me, that really means a lot. And uh, I just, oh, I just love you to pieces. I remember the first time I met you, I didn't really know who you were, um, but you were pointed out to me by um, my field producer. I had a wonderful field producer by the name of Christopher Sherman at the time we were at New York Fashion Week. And he said, oh, that's Brad Gressy. You got to talk to him. He's so fabulous. He's incredible. He's this great stylist. He's so cool. And, and it was like, oh, okay. And I just, you know, <laughs> walked up to you and I just thought you were the coolest, chicest, you know, most stylish young man I had. Oh, I couldn't believe. I remember time. that. I couldn't believe wow. I was, that was, <laughs> that was happening. And then, and then we did a sit down in Toronto, not that not too long after that, probably, you know, I think it was probably through Rachel Zoe by then and um, had been out on my own. I think it was for eTalk maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember that. I remember texting my mom and being like, I just talked to Jeannie Becker. Oh, that's, uh, incredible. Anyway, you've come a long way, baby. We have come a long way. The scene, <laughs> fashion has come a long way uh, and kind of went into this weird space, I think, Mm. right now, where fashion is, hmm, it certainly ain't like it used to be. Um, The fashion scene that you got so excited about, and and I was so excited about, and and you delved into, and and really um, pushed and stretched and provided us with so much entertainment um, and and good taste uh, for all the red carpet dressing you did all those years. I mean, how do you see it now? fashion and its allure or perhaps lack of allure? I mean, has it lost its luster a little bit for you? For me personally, no. I, you know, I, I've been enjoyed is probably the wrong word, but I think maybe the break of the, the hectic nature of the fashion world right now has been kind of nice. Um, I think, you know, being a stylist and and having so many events and shoots and things going on all at once, it's it's really made me appreciate my job as a creative outlet that I really enjoy. I I did a virtual shoot with a client of mine uh, for Vogue.com and it was just so nice to be with like looking at clothes again, you know, and seeing what's happening. And I do think that we are in a space where things are definitely going to change after this because there's no way they can't. 
Um, you know, a lot of designers are not going to be able to survive COVID and mm-hmm. this pandemic. Sure. And a lot of big department stores and big brands are, are also not going to be able to survive. But I think it's also what I'm seeing too in the resort collections and the way that the designers are presenting or have had presented their couture collections this season. I think it's also a, a really good time for for people to be tapping into their creativity and and pivoting because we're all having to pivot right now. Um, but I love what I do. I love I love being around clothes. I love you know the joy that that fashion I see fashion bringing to people um, and to my clients. And I like being the conduit to that. I like I like making that experience for people. When you say that you believe that fashion is inevitably going to change, has changed already uh, and will continue to change, in what way primarily? I mean, is it going to have to do with our appetites for fashion and our our zest for uh, great style? I mean, uh, that I think is something that's just inherent in, in, you know, human beings. Mm -hmm. I think fashion is just something that we're the only human, uh, we're the only creatures, really, the only animals that like to dress up or that get to dress up. So that is a very, it's a very unique thing to us. But how do you think what's going on in these last few months is really going to change our, our appetite for it? Well, what it's made me realize is how much thought I put into the presentation of myself for other people. You know, so being at home right now, I and just and being with my husband, like, you know, we haven't been I've been dressing down like a lot. And I I still have the desire to buy things and to treat myself to things. And, you know, once everything started picking back up, I was, you know, shopping on my sites like I was before. But there has been that moment for me where I'm like, really, where am I wearing this? Like, really, where am I going? I, I know I want this leopard print Stella McCartney suit, but where am I going in the next year? And so for me, I think it's made me realize that, the the art of presentation and the way that I take care of myself is very much for an audience. It's not necessarily something that I do when I don't have the audience. Does that make sense? Yes. So totally. so that that kind of that idea of putting oneself together for other people to see and enjoy and comment on has been taken away for the moment. Mm-hmm. But I think as soon as that's you know, as soon as that comes back into play, people are going to be out there, I'm hoping are going to be out there kind of like really ready to like live and have fun. And, you know, I don't know about, I don't know about how much we're going to be showing off though. Like, I wonder how much of the red carpet is going to come back to the way that it, that it was, you know, with, $30 million necklaces and, you know, $250,000 gowns. And the other side of that coin is that if we stop supporting the people who are making those gowns and the couturiers and, you know, the, the women and men at the Lesage embroidery house and the people who make the couture textiles and all of those things, then we also stop a part of fashion history that we really need to keep alive. Really? So it's a big, it's a big, it's a big cycle that we all participate in, mm-hmm. right? And so I hope that we can still keep it going, 
together, but I do think people are going to be more conscientious about it. Yeah. But without question, I remember, you know, after the recession, like in, uh, even in 2000, it, it started to be, you know, not politically correct to strut it too much. You didn't want right. to flaunt it too much. And we went into this kind of minimalism almost uh, yet again. So, so that, that could very well uh, be the way, you know, just getting up because there was so much excess. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was much too much. I mean, you must admit it got kind of obscene, the amount of labels that were out there. I mean, you know, I hate to say it because God, so many labels now have, have suffered. This pandemic has been the nail in the coffin for so many fashion businesses. But mm. I do believe that the cream usually does rise to the top, or I'd like to believe that. Um, and mm-hmm. this is just a way of, you know, doing away with just too much excess. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There was a an article on the cover of the New York Times Magazine, like I think two weeks ago about how there are brands that were, you know, one is entire world, who is Scott Sternberg's brand, who did a uh, band of outsiders for many years. And then that, you know, unfortunately that brand folded due to investor problems, et cetera. But um, he's had this brand entire world that he makes in Los Angeles and it's all basics. And it was basically like kind of on the brink of folding. And then because of the switch into people's desire to have like nice loungewear and comfy clothes to be in, he's getting kind of a second chance at, at Mm -hmm. this business. So, you know, I think everything ebbs and flows and right now, you know, people are still consuming, which I think is great. And it's just different. You know, we're not, we're dressing up for zoom. We're dressing, you know, it's, uh, my, Jennifer Fisher, the jewelry designer, is a friend of mine. And we were talking the other night and she's like, business is great. Everybody wants a Zoom hoop, you know? So it's like (laughs) shoulders up, you know? If you're making great tops and great accessories, you're doing fantastic. Yeah, and isn't it interesting? This shoulder detail is uh, one of the big trends this season, you know, like, wow, those pointed, powerful shoulders. Totally. But you are such a wonderful social media baby you are you really get it you love it you are so entertaining with your social media i mean anyone that follows you on instagram can delight your tiktoks you're just like <laughs> off the map crazy nutty like just, you know, if you want to smile you just have to go to you know, brad's uh, instagram and you're just gonna lap it up why is that such a great outlet for you? How, what thrill does that uh, give you personally to be performing to that degree? Well, it's funny because my mom and I were talking about this. When I was a kid, I used to, with my cousin who lived next door, we would work on shows and throw them in our basement and then invite our aunts and uncles over to come and like watch the show. And there was it was always like obviously costumes and dancing and, you know, all, we did all kinds of like weird things together. And um, we would set up like a little theater downstairs and now in the basement. And now, especially during this time, um, I have just, I've needed it as a creative outlet. And I, I like, part of the reason why I love doing the television work so much is I like to make people laugh. I like to entertain. I like to make people feel good. And Instagram and TikTok have been um, a great outlet for me because A, they give me a creative project to work on and, you know, for a few hours and B, it's so many people have DM'd me and have commented saying, you know, that 
they're going through a tough time and it made them laugh or, you know, there are a lot of people going through a lot of things right now. And if my small contribution can be for the person who's, you know, going through something, whatever they might be going through, and it's a little pick-me-up for them, that to me is a great use of social media. Mm. Um, and it's just been, I've, you know, it's just been fun to kind of, I, I do the housewives, um, lip syncs that I've been doing. I love those franchises. I watch a lot of Bravo. I was on Bravo for years. And it's just kind of my like, it's also kind of a way for me to thank the people who are entertaining me right now, you know, because I look forward to my Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays and watching my shows on Bravo. So it was just kind of like a way to be um, to celebrate the people that I feel like have been really getting me and, and Gary through this time. role of uh, influencers, you know, and that was like such a major deal for so long now. Do you think that's going to be waning at all in the future? I don't actually. I think right now because um, everything has moved inside and, you know, we're seeing magazines, um, I believe it was GQ with Rob Pattinson who did his own photography and there are a lot of those, my client who shot um, all of her, well, she had some, a friend of hers shoot the photos of her, but there's, there's this kind of um, self-produced advertising happening. And I think influencers, I, we thought the bubble was going to burst, but I think now there are going to be a lot of, if you're putting out interesting content, I think that brands are very much looking towards these people who have an audience in social media to help keep their brands um, out there in the in the in the universe. So I actually was wondering at the beginning of all of this, I thought, oh no, this is going to be, you know, influencers are going to go bye bye. But mm. I wonder though, I think in like a practical way, like online. It's, I think that service is going to really continue. I wonder in the fashion space how much it's going to, you know, how many influencers there's going to be in front rows of shows, what shows look like anymore. Um, if we're going to be, you know, I, I've been lucky to be flown to Paris to shows and all over the place. And I'm just wondering, does that happen anymore? You know, what does that, what does that look like? Um, yeah. But the influencer, I, I definitely think, is is here to stay. I don't know if necessarily the ones with 20 million followers are going to be the, peop- the ones that people are looking to. Because I do think that when I've been working with brands, they now want some sort of more interesting content than just you with a photo holding. They want something that they want to see that you're producing something that right. is worth. They'll they'll pay you for right. it, but mm-hmm. they want you to do something a little bit more than just take a picture of yourself. Yeah, than just look hot in an outfit. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, but you have always looked hot in outfits. And I don't know um, when that really, really started for you. I mean, you obviously have learned so much just by osmosis in the world that you threw yourself into. Mm. But where when did that that 
real penchant for great style and sartorial savvy. When did that all really start for you, Brad? Well, I think it's like what you were saying earlier about, you know, if we're as humans, we have this desire, but if you're somebody that loves fashion, like it's always, you're always going to be consuming in some sort of way. Um, I didn't have, I was literally like this since I was a kid and that's no joke. I, I didn't have access like we have now to clothing and to designer brands. I would have been a nightmare. Like my poor mother was trying to get me, you know, Benetton and Ralph Lauren and Esprit and all of those things. I was very aware of what brands were were cute and what my style was. Like in third grade, I was I went through kind of like a Wall Street phase. Like I was always doing these things that were, I would see like an image from a movie poster or, you know, a a trailer on TV or a movie that I had seen. And those images would just like stay like locked in my brain and I would have to recreate them. So I was in third grade, like slicking my hair, wearing pleated pants and penny loafers. And I had seen it, you know, I'd, I'd seen Michael Douglas like with slick hair on the Wall Street poster. Um, one of the big, I never really dressed like him, but one of the movie characters that had such a big impact on me was Ducky from Pretty in Pink, John Cryer. Um, those eighties kinds of looks really, especially when it was guys that were doing something really stayed with me, but I was always doing something, you know, trying, coming up with something. Once I discovered a glue gun, I was gluing sequins to things. I went through a big rave phase. So I was vintage shopping and, you know, going to Kensington Market and buy the pound, the Goodwill, buy the pound. My parents hated it when I went there because I would buy, you know, garbage bags filled with clothing that, you know, wasn't really washed. And I'd bring them back to Port Perry from Toronto. And my dad would just be like, oh my God, like just get this stuff in the washing machine now. Mm. But I, you know, I went to a, a a high school too, where people weren't, you know, we had, we called them the headbangers. We had the headbangers who were the people who liked like Metallica and all of the metal bands. Then we had the jocks and then I was with the freaks and we, you know, I would make my own pants with like funny materials. Like I was just, you know, my, my parents, thank God, were very um, accepting of all of my different looks and regardless of how much I was yelled at and bullied and stuff, like I never, I didn't really ever change my tune that much. You know, I hit a little bit more, but I didn't really like, mm. I didn't change my tune very much. And I don't know where that fearlessness came from. And you were bullied. Like yeah. people were mean to you, called oh, you God, names. Yeah, uh, horrible. Every day. It was it was so bad to the point that I didn't want to go to my um my high school graduation. My mom basically and my dad were both like, You need you like you'll be really sorry sorry if you didn't go, but I didn't want to go and get my diploma and have people screaming at me from the audience. So mm-hmm. I went and I did it and I left and I graduated early and then, you know. But that stuff stays with you for like right. your entire life. Was there a moment in your in your career in your life post high school, you know, when you finally made it to the big city and then things started happening for you that you really said, you know what, screw you. I've made it, you know, ha ha. So there, I mean, I always felt that too, growing Mm -hmm. up, there was that, that was part of my drive. You know, kids made fun of me for, wow, you're taking me back. I 
stuff I haven't really thought about in a long time. But I used to wear a lot of hand-me-downs because we didn't have a lot of money um, growing up. And we had these rich cousins in Passaic, New Jersey. They used to send us boxes full of used clothing. And I would, you know, strut them proudly because they were great party dresses. Some some of the stuff was probably inappropriate to wear to school, but I wore it. <laughs> and I remember one creepy guy once said to me, oh, that looks like something that came out of a Salvation Army barrel or something. And I was just mortified. So, mm. you know, I mean, and all those people all through your life that tell you you're not good enough, you're never going to make it. You know, I remember when I was working in radio in St. John's, Newfoundland, there was a, a producer there that said, you should, you, you know, you belong in the theater, maybe definitely not in radio, You'll never make it in media. You're way too out there. You're way too theatrical. Your voice is so irritating. You know, like all those people that always have try to, you know, keep you back in your life. You do, I think, get to a point sometimes where it's just like, wow, I've arrived. And, you Mm. know, despite all the naysayers, what was that point for you? You know, I think it was like, I think when once I went and I moved to Toronto and I found my group of people, I think that that was kind of my first getting out of the town I grew up in and people liking me just for who I was. Um, you know, being gay, my fashion, like just embracing all of the things that were so kind of, you know, that people made fun of me. I think that was the first time where I found like, an, I felt like I actually had a sense of community. I think maybe the time that I thought that I had arrived was after Rachel's, um, Rachel Zoe's, the first season of her show started to air. And we you know, I was working that job as an assistant and then the show had been filmed and was on TV and it was starting to take on a life of its own. And we didn't think that it was going to be anything that anybody would ever want to watch. And I think that that was like an actual moment where I was like, oh my God, this is like more than anything I ever thought would would happen to me. And I also felt at the same time that all of the things that I had done, um, having been through theater school and having my time that was short, but working at Vogue. And there were all of these things that fell together in that moment where I was like, oh, this is why I did all those things. This prepared me to be able to do this. And um, I think that's also why I've always stayed super, you know, grateful for all of the opportunities that that I have been lucky to live because I dreamed about them. And, and I've told you this before, that I dreamed of being a part of the fashion world. So to be a part of that world and be going to shows and talking to you and meeting Oscar de la Renta and, you know, meeting Michael Kors and all of these people and Naomi Campbell. And my head was like exploding every single day. Cause I was like, wow, the magazines are alive in my mm. life. Like I'm, I'm a part of the fashion magazine that I was looking at and I was watching you talk about on TV. I'm like, I'm in it. I'm in the thing, you know? So it never, I never don't get those butterflies before a show. Um, my last trip before everything closed down, I was in Paris for Fashion Week with uh, Demi Moore was is a client of mine, and we were going to the Dior show together. And just before the show, um, we went backstage, and we were sitting in the room with Maria Grazia before the show. And I saw, like, we walked past all the models, and Maria Grazia was there talking to us. And I was like, 
this is insane. Like, <laughs> this is so crazy. I'm, I'm, the show hasn't started. I'm sitting here talking with Maria Grazia before the models walk out with Demi Moore. I was just like, I, like this is the most incredible experience, you know, to be able to, to live in it and appreciate it is such a gift. And that's one of the many reasons that I love and appreciate you so much because you never did get jaded. Like all the, that great stuff happened. But, it, you know, listen, it's so easy. We've met a lot of people who got carried away with their own uh, BS or just, you know, you, you really have always uh, looked at the world that way with wide-eyed wonder. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's something that I've always tried to to hang on to and, and be like myself. I think it would be so horrible to to be jaded and take that stuff for granted. You mm. had a chance to work with uh, some amazingly fabulous women over the years who, you know, and I'm sure just as you imparted so much of your style uh, sense onto them or, or your, your style knowledge, they certainly must have taught you a heck of a lot. Oh, yeah. The true yes. meaning of great style. What would totally. you say? The, some of the biggest lessons you've learned about style have been, and who did you learn them from? You know, I think all of my clients have really, um, I think what, what each of my clients have taught me is I definitely have a thing that I'm drawn to. Like I'm, I'm so drawn to like the glamour of the 1950s and Ava Gardner and Marilyn Monroe and, then moving up to like icons like Madonna for, you know, the high fashion, the Gautier, the Gucci for Tom Ford, like all of those, those moments the the Galliano for Dior, like all of that I love. But I think what, the, what they've all really taught me is to really listen to and fine tune exactly what their, their style is. You know, I think like, with Rashida Jones and Demi Moore, they've both taught me so much about how women can be sexy in, you know, like um, a menswear inspired blazer. And, you know, one of the things that, that I, like a, a blazer or suiting or, you know, how to find kind of hidden sensuality in things as opposed to, it always having to be all out on the table. And I have clients who are like that, but I also really like the fact that we have found, they have taught me ways to, to, to be like sexy and sensual without being overtly, you know, everything out there. Yeah. And I think also just allowing people the, the opportunity to play, like we have fun in my fittings, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it's a, it's still dress up for me. You know, it's like everything for me came from Barbie and it's like the ultimate like Barbie dream closet all the time, especially around <laughs> award shows. I'm like, Barbie's got a really good dream closet between like January and March, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I, th I think that's probably the biggest lesson for me. And I've had such an, op an opportunity to work with and, and be a part of like really big life moments with a lot of my clients, which is really nice to be there and to, you know, I think another, Jenna Dewan um, was, I think one of the first pregnant women. Oh, actually, no, Jessica Alba was the first. And then uh, Jenna Dewan after that. 
and being able to dress women in their pregnancy while while they're like and and to be a part of that for nine months is an incredibly special thing. Like it's really. I remember when Jessica Alba called me and said that she was pregnant and I was like, oh my God, how are we going to keep the fashions up? How are we going to like, you know, we're on like such a good role and everything kind of like exploded around her pregnancy style. Um, Yeah. And it was just, it was like such a great experience to be able to experience that with one of my clients. It was really fun. Oh yeah. That's nice. That takes me back to a time when uh, I was pregnant with um, my, uh, my would have been my first uh don't know it was 1989 I was pregnant with um with my second daughter uh Joey and I was uh at a Carl Lagerfeld couture fitting like you know on the eve of the big couture show at his wow. studio and I was feeling like a beached whale because all the assistants <laughs> were running around the studio you know wearing these chic little white and black outfits and I was there wearing like some drab olive green <laughs> you know, horrifying sand wash silk outfit from you know the local maternity shop in Toronto that just it was horrifying I just felt like a total beached whale and uh, actually just before Carl came into the room his um his assistant uh you know said to me would you like to borrow something from the collection to wear for the interview with Carl and it's like nothing's gonna fit me like no no no, come with me and we went it was Gilles Dufour I don't know you know who actually ended up being great designer himself but uh so Gilles took me into this room that was filled with all these samples from couture shows like just ah and it was okay so find something I went oh my god if life could ever be ironic how am I ever gonna <laughs> find something to fit like I'm I, I gained so much weight during my pregnancy it was ridiculous so finally I, I'm looking through the racks and I see this like beautiful black crepe white satin dress it had this arrow going down the front of it and it was a, a kind of a boxy style and I thought the arrow going down the front of it could maybe make me look a little bit slimmer like maybe I could fit into this I don't know and I tried it on and it actually fit. Wow. And I just felt like, wow, talk about the, the power of clothes to really transform you and elevate you. So then Carl walked in and he saw me in the dress and he goes, oh, that's, a, you know, that's fabulous on you. And it was like, wow, really? Like you like it on me? This is, you know, and then at the end of the interview, he says, oh, yes, ce sera un cadeau pour toi. Like he gave it to me as a gift. Wow. Yeah, he says, that, that, you know, this is such a great look on you. I'm, give, I'm gifting you that dress. And I was like, rah! So it hangs in my closet still, this Chanel, you know, complete with the pearl buttons. And I mean, it was a classic Chanel. It has a little black camellia at the neck. It's oh. the most beautiful little dress. I never wore it again, though, after the pregnancy, because I don't it know, had, it just felt like it had its it was moment. A, yeah, it was a maternity dress after all. <laughs> the last person you want to have eyes on that dress is Karl Lagerfeld. Right. Oh, that's true. Isn't that too. true? That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but wonderful. You're a real lover of women. You know, you just you I are. Am. You really yeah. are. Uh, I do. And I, I know. Hope. I've I've been lucky enough to meet your mom. So she, <laughs> you know, and I understand how you are mad about her because she's just the most delightful, warmest, beautiful person. Um, yeah. Tell me about that love affair that you've had with women and how that's I just, you. you know, I, I grew up with my, my grandmother as well. Um, both grandmothers. Um, my mom's mom took care of us a lot because my mom and my dad both worked. And so we would go to my grandma's after. And my grandmother was just like a wonderful, very tough um, 
human being. And she, she embraced all of my kind of behavior that wasn't very acceptable, basically. You know, like I played with Barbies. I always wanted to be with her in the kitchen. Uh, I always wanted her to buy me more Barbies, which she would do and hide from my dad and all of these things. And she just, she really taught me to just be who I was. And my mom did too. And, and I just, I just was really lucky to grow up around women. And my, and my grandmother was very tough. So if I, you know, if we acted out, my sister and I, she wasn't afraid to tell us. And so I learned to respect women like very, very early on. And I also had such a deep love for my mom and my grandmothers that, you know, I just, um, I'm just so lucky too, that I, I, I've been able to work with so many women that I respect, but also that I'm just, I'm so happy I've got to become friends with, you know, and, and, and aside from my own family, I had my sister, I had, you know, girlfriends growing up in school that were, that all really insulated me and protected me from people that wanted to do harm to me. And, um, I've just always been, I mean, it's made me super, um, affectionate towards women. That's also made me on the flip side of that kind of afraid of guys. So um, I think like, I, especially straight men, but I think in my adult years, I've grown to kind of trust men a little bit more um, and have the same, like be able to be open and teachable and to have a different experience than what I was used to growing up. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not to say that came from my father because my father is uh, super loving and was is very 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 supportive of me and and um, you know my sexuality and and my life. So it's it's not that. It's just more that when you are kind of you learn to be afraid of of I learned to be afraid of men that I didn't know, and I think kind of undoing that has been really freeing for me because I have a lot of really great gay male friends and also straight male friends too. What about being a Canadian? Because by nature, I think we're just downright nicer. Uh, do you <laughs> find that that uh, maybe helped you when you uh, entered that kind of you know meanish world that sometimes you encounter in uh, the fashion arena? A thousand percent, definitely. I I I think my um, my Canadianness has served me very well because it has. Um, I don't know. There's just something people will always say once they find out I'm Canadian. Oh, that's why you're so nice. Or I was always wondering how you could always be so nice and so calm and Mm -hmm. so easy to work with. And um, I think that those are great things. And I, I, I like that too. When I, when I go home, I definitely feel a sense of and Gary will say it too. Like I forget, I, 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 there's a florist I use in my hometown when I'm sending flowers to my mom or my grandma. And every time I call and the interaction is so nice, I'm like, oh, right. I'm from like super nice people. Like <laughs> I grew up around like really nice people. And, you know, 
I felt safe. And, and, you know, it's nice that, that my mom is so sweet and my sister, like, it's just nice to be known for being, it's nice to be celebrated for being nice. And I do think, and and I, I know you know this as well, that in our industry and in the fashion industry, even though the old kind of idea of the the mean bitchy fashion person there are still a lot of those i do believe that i have been welcomed into a lot of different scenarios that i wouldn't have been if i wasn't known as being a nice person in mm. fashion i mm. definitely think that that having a reputation for being easy to work with being nice um and I'm just not like, I don't know. I, like I said, I still have this gratitude of, and, and it's not imposter syndrome either. It's not like I don't feel like I belong in these places. It's just that growing up and dreaming of being there, it still doesn't, you know, it still doesn't escape me that I'm sitting at a, at a show or I'm at like a dinner and I'm, you know, I'm such a fan of designers and actresses and actors that I'm always kind of still like, can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm where I am sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly keeps you humble and that's always a good thing. You also have a very sweet husband, a genius, a genius and cute, (laughs) Uh, Gary Gennetti, who's a writer, producer, uh, famous for things like family guy. I mean, and now working on, a cartoon series about the royal family. Is that correct? Yeah, he's writing um, an animated series for HBO Max. Um, it's called The Prince, and it's uh, it's a satire of the royal family, um, starring Prince George. The the he plays the main character, Prince George, and it's um, it's great. It has um, Orlando Bloom as Harry, uh, Francis oh. de la Tour as the Queen, Alan Cumming as uh, George's. Uh, you know, Butler. Um, it's a uh, it's an incredible cast, and the this the scripts are just like outrageously hilarious. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. But Gary's American. Gary, Gary is. He's from Queens. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you, the Canadian, who's you know, I'm sure, and you do hold the royal family in in esteem, right? <laughs> Ish. Ish. <laughs> okay, that, that's but for yes, another podcast. No, but it's way more a part of my life. Yeah. You know, like the royal family is, you know, we're part of the Commonwealth. So yes, I, I'm very much, I'm not like a royalist or anything, oh, but no. yeah, I, I'm definitely aware, very yeah. aware. What fun, what fun, and what crazy times um, we're all living through. Thank you so much for for the conversation and just for being who you are. Uh, just love you to bits. And Likewise. Uh, forward to... Giving you a big hug. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. You can catch me Thursday evenings on TSC's Style Matters. And new episodes of Beyond Style Matters will be coming at you each and every week. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.